Welcome to Life Quest Liberty, live in-depth conversations with today's top writers, editors, and spiritual leaders concerning religious freedom around the world. On today's broadcast, we'll examine local and international factors that may be impacting your right to worship and obey God as your conscience dictates. I'm your Life Quest Liberty host, Charles Mills. Our show today is about you. Yes, you. You are a Christian. You want the world to know what God has done for you. You're eager to share His love with everyone you meet. So, with a smile on your face and a prayer in your heart, you head out into the world to witness for your faith. That's when, many times, it all falls apart. You see, Christianity isn't exactly enjoying a stellar reputation these days. Why? Well, let's talk with Lincoln Steed, editor of Liberty Magazine and an ordained minister of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Lincoln, help us out here. How can we be Christians without turning off so many of the people we meet? Well, that's the big question, and maybe we'll come at it from a few different angles. Yes. But uh, I've given a lot of thought about this lately because we're in a world where, where religious liberty is not really taken for, well, it's taken for granted. It's not really uh, implemented as yes, it should. Yes, exactly. And one of the reasons that we're having such trouble is that some religionists, most notably in the Islamic world, are aggressively moving in on others. And, and in the United States, religion is thrown around gratuitously. But in reality, other than that, people are not much involved with religion. And, and, and what religion there is is very secular. Mm-hmm. And so it, it seems to those that don't buy that agenda that here is religion being you know, used as a cudgel to beat them over the head, and as a result, real religion is, is uh, diminished. Now you said something very interesting. You said that religion is very secular. How can you have... I thought, aren't they the opposite ends of the poles? Well, you're getting onto my hobby horse, and anyone that's listened <laughs> to me over the years would know I try to make a clear distinction between religion and spirituality. Mm. And I'll go further, because I've said this a number of times in meetings, that there's way too much religion in the, in the world, not enough spirituality. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, because without spirituality, religion easily degenerates into a, a sort of a cultic or a club environment where those who are on the end and on the outside... And it can be used, as, as, as I said before, a cudgel against other people. It can be, can be used quite violently even against those who are not in that club. It lends itself to personal prejudice, to political extremism, and, and uh, of course, violence in the name of religion. You are so right, Lincoln. And there are examples of this throughout history when, in the name of religion, the atrocities have taken place. A lot of people then look at religious people and saying, okay, it's their spirituality that is causing them to be so passionate in their religion. How do we then, as Christians, try to make a dividing line between our religion and our spirituality so that that connection isn't made? I don't think they do make that connection. I don't think the average person distinguishes between religion in general and and the, the spiritual inside aspect. I'm trying to think of another synonym for for spirituality. But spirituality is the emotional, personal involvement and integration into your your thinking and, and, and and your meditative life and so on, not just holding this view and demanding compliance from other people. Okay, so spirituality is an internal thing, an internal part of a relationship with a God. In, internal, right? Right. Okay. Internalized in a way that makes a difference in how you live, think, and act. Okay, so then religion then becomes a corporate illustration of someone's inner feelings about God. 
True religion. Yeah, true religion. False religion, or, or the more common religion as we see it around <laughs> the world, is is just a label. Okay. Uh, and, and, and labels are used, whether it's race or, or religion or p- political party, those labels can be used very negatively against the other on occasion. And religion more easily lends itself to uh, extreme acts because a religionist can easily characterize those of another or no religion as, as, as damned by God or, yes, or cast yes. off by God or even as, as against the interests of God and man. Uh, so the, the level of violence with just harsh, impersonal, uh, unspiritual religion is very extreme. Now, I'm always trying to figure out how to live. That's what I do for my life. I'm trying to figure out the best way of doing this. How would you recommend, then, that we respond to someone who comes up to us and says, you know, well, what religion are you? Should we, should, in my case, should I say, well, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist, or should I say, well, I am a, I'm a Christian who has decided that the Seventh-day Adventist Church is the most in line with my internal beliefs. That's a long answer for a short question. What's well, a long answer, but I think you're closer to the way it should be done. Okay. We should, rather than presenting a, a label, we should present a characterization of what our mm. spiritual, spirituality is. Mm. An example that popped into my mind, not to answer your particular point, but, but of of where religion can really go wrong and be used in a violent way. I I was just reading the other day of the conflict between religious entities and and populations that that we have accelerated, if you like, by the war in Afghanistan. And I read the article where uh, a number of soldiers, in the frustrations and the extremism that comes with being in a contact like that, They've taken to even putting the word infidel on their shirts and, and, and tattoos and so on. My, my. <laughs> and going out into the community yeah. and saying, I'm an infidel. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's a loser on two levels because uh, it creates violence, but it shows to me they do not understand the spirituality of theirs or the other religion. Yeah. Uh, but, but to call someone an infidel in other eras, in the Middle Ages, in, in, in Europe, you know, you risk your life. Yeah. You, you could be sent to the uh, stake or, or worse. <laughs> I guess it's nothing worse, but I mean, <laughs> uh, to- you'd be tortured as yes. well as executed yes. Yes. just to be an infidel. We shouldn't be proud of such things. Yes, by definition, someone that believes fervently is something else, and those that don't, one of them is an infidel to the other. Mm-hmm. But if there's a spirituality that, that, that humbles the person before it, their view of the divine, they're not going to act toward the other in a way that's out of out of agreement with their view of what God and man is. Okay, bottom line then, I hear you saying that religion gone bad are people who have a religion who have lost contact with their true spirituality. Is that right? Absolutely. Okay. All Let right. me pick it up another way, and this has been very influential in my thinking in the last few days and led to this topic today. Mm-hmm. I heard this debate of some... Uh, years ago between Christopher Hitchens, who died, I think, not much more than a year ago, but he died, uh, an avowed atheist and and a very intelligent individual and an interesting speaker. But Christopher Hitchens debated the Reverend Al Sharpton on religion or on God. Mm -hmm. It was on the basics. You know, Hitchens says religion is just a delusion of, of man we've carried over from simpler ages. And uh, Sharpton, although he was the bad boy of, of religious politics, uh, was, was, was presenting himself there as a religious uh, leader and, and, uh, and someone in favor of spirituality. And so they went at it. 
and it was interesting to hear the one-upsmanship on both sides and, and you know, who was seeming to win the argument. But uh, they both agreed on one thing that I think everybody who's a clear thinker must agree on. You cannot prove or disprove in an absolute sense the existence of God. Hmm. The, quote, proofs for God are you can make deductions or, or uh, assertions based on, on implications around us in the world. But the real proof comes from an inner connection. Mm-hmm. The reverend did descend, or well, not descend. I say descend because it wasn't an it wasn't a convincing <laughs> argument in their debate. But he said, you know, he, he's in my heart. He's made a difference in my life. But what was very interesting to me in the debate that at no point did uh, the reverend try to defend the biblical scriptures, hmm. the holy scriptures. Hmm. And, and Hitchens was quite alarmed at that. He says, I, you know, I must admit, he says, I've never had this before, that you, that you, you refuse to defend it. You just give it away. I think he did it as, a, as an arguing ploy because there are so many apparent inconsistencies and, 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 and rather egregious examples of what Hitchens called genocide in the Bible yes. that they could have uh, gotten into convoluted arguments. But where I thought was the good side of it, that did allow Sharpton to talk about how it affected him inside, mm. that that for him was the, the final proof uh, that there is a God and that, that he, you know, because he made it makes a difference in his life. Uh, and, and for our discussion today, I think that's really where it is. Our spirituality uh, should drive our religion, not the other way around. Absolutely. Okay. All right. I, I do think any faith uh, worthy of the faith can be looked at intellectually. It needs to be intellectually coherent. I was going to give an example of one that isn't, but that, that's probably irresponsible on a program like this. That's my judgment. Mm-hmm. But we, we all know that there are some faiths, uh, you know, that are not much more than, uh, you know, an artificial religion developed, yes. say, by an individual very self-consciously. Yes. Well, you know, more, more fool them for those people that would follow such a thing. But the, the ancient religions or the religions that have stood the test of time, if you look at them, they have an internal logic. And you would expect that. Mm-hmm. That one doctrine or one viewpoint of their God and his actions and the expectation on the follower should should follow logically. But we need to understand that at the beginning point of them, very hard to prove other than the effect and, and the resonance that it has within the individual. And we have to say also, Lincoln, that it is very, very hard to prove that there is no God. Yeah. They agreed on that. Yeah. You can't prove or disprove. Either way. And, and, Either the, way, yeah. and the ultimate proof for a religionist is how it resonates with your yeah. s- uh, spirituality and, and your, your personal sense of identification with God. Yeah. Yeah. But that simultaneously, not only is part of the argument, that should be part of the moderation of how you project your religion. Realize that that's where it's at. It isn't some irrefutable dogma or construct of your religion that others must agree with or they're in trouble or that you might even harm them, <laughs> I think it should, yeah. should give some little humility to anybody that believes in faith. Now, now, perverted, that idea, of course, leads to the idea that all religions are equal and, and you know, that they're all seeking the divine or seeking him equally and, yes. and equally have found a little bit of him. I don't believe that. As a Christian, I, 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 I'm quite convinced that Christ was the Son of God and, and uh, or is the Son of God mm-hmm. and that the Bible is, is a reliable projection of God's will through human history. But as far as we relate to other beliefs, we need to have humility 
and realize that at, at, at the root, it's how we individually relate to God, and we can't compel others any more than God is seeking to compel us. talking with Lincoln Steed, editor of Liberty Magazine today, about how to be a Christian, and we've established that it has to begin in the heart. Any belief, any religious system really needs to begin with people who are deeply spiritual. And if they find each other, and if they build a building, and if they get together and sing a song and pray a prayer, or, or take up an offering, or send missionaries, that's fine. But it has to begin in the heart. Any religion that doesn't begin there, if you don't have the spirituality in there, then you have a form of religion. You have the kind of religion that requires that you fly airplanes into buildings, that you murder your neighbor, that you go searching for infidels and kill them. That's the type of religion you have when spirituality has been disconnected. And I think, Doc, uh, I, I think, Lincoln Steed, if we look at it I'll, carefully— I'll answer the doctor. You can say, Doc. <laughs> you're, you're, just, you're just everything to me. Uh, when, when you look at it close enough, I believe that I just described a lot of what was happening in the Old Testament religion seemed to take over from spirituality. God was there to try to make spiritual people, and people took that spirituality and misguided it and misused it and misquoted it and misrepresented it and created a religion and did all kinds of evil in the name of religion, calling it, doing it in the name of God. Am I on the right track here? Absolutely. And human beings tend that way. We tend to confuse the form with the substance. Mm. Uh, and, and the Bible over and over again comes back to that, and it's very interesting. God, who instituted the animal sacrifice system in the Old Testament, which uh, uh, maybe some of our listeners don't know, but the Old Testament was fulfilled. All of those symbols represented through the sacrificial system fulfilled in Christ. That's why it's not called for now. Yeah. But God instituted that. But at a midpoint there in the Old Testament, God says, I have no pleasure in the, in the sacrifice of animals. Why did he say that? Yeah. He's the one that asked for it. Yeah. He didn't have a pleasure because they were doing it thinking that that was religion, just to go about the killing and the burning and all the rest, mm-hmm. uh, where they'd lost sight of the, of the principle that was at play, and the principle was, was uh, a harmony and communication and, and uh, understanding of God himself. That wonderful text that we love to quote, to obey is better than sacrifice. But remember, obedience, uh, again, without an understanding of the finer, more uh, cerebral things of religion, yeah. is very bad. You know, Islam at its worst uh, historic aspect, we won't talk about its doctrine, but was uh, militarily uh, applying submission to Allah. Yeah. Well, you know, obey. You know, submit to Allah or we'll cut your head off. Yeah, you know, that, that's, yeah. that was the worst aspect, I think, of Islam. You know, Islam has several aspects, and, and, and you know, I'll grant the others uh, have some validity, but that one I don't accept. 
I'm very uncomfortable with, with that aspect, which is, as you alluded to before, was resurrected mm-hmm. by some of these jihadists who, who had a secular agenda as well, but they hijacked their religion to their purposes. Uh, so, no, it's not obey or else. Yeah. It's uh, obey because. Okay, it's because. <laughs> I like that. And the because is, is quite important. You know, we as Christians, of course, want <clears throat> to share God's love when we have God in our heart and we, when we are truly spiritual. We want to do two things. We want to get together with other people who are spiritual and, 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 and worship our God. We enjoy that. And number two, we want to share what we know with others. Let's talk about how to do that. How then would you build a religion? And I know that our church, uh, as well as every church in existence today, is struggling with this very thing. How do we take an internal spiritual drive that people have or think they have and create a unity in a church when sometimes those spiritual drives are not running in parallel with each other? And you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, well, you, you're helping me take this in a different direction than, than we, we might normally. But, uh, you know, it has to come back to spirituality. The, the, the main reason, it seems to me, uh, both the Seventh-day Adventist Church as any other church, and, and we look to the West particularly, and there's all sorts of disarray and division and debate within churches on, on, on quite major things sometimes, ordination of women, who will be a priest, whether it be a gay or a straight or whatever, or, or you know, whether uh, this isn't one of them, but, you know, how many angels on the head of a pen, yes, you know, these yeah. can get quite, quite uh, diverse. Uh, but if you really think it through, logically, if there was more of a of an emotional commitment to, to what the group held, if there was this spirituality rather than just a checklist, then they might still have the same arguments, but they wouldn't have the sharpness. Hmm. So to me, the degree of this argument and the, and the, the splits that are sometimes related usually are a direct reflection of the, the spiritually dead nature of that organization. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I'll go out, I don't know how many of our fellow church Adventists are listening to this, but I'll say the same. Right now, uh, women's ordination is, is shaking up the structure. I mean, it's not diverting from our message to the larger community, but within the structure, it's very destabilizing. And I see it as an evidence of a need for, for revival, yes. if nothing else. Yeah. It wouldn't do away with the underlying argument, but it would shape it in a positive way. Mm-hmm. You know, we... We want to be the kind of people that God wants us to be. And I find it kind of interesting, Lincoln, that as I study into the life of Christ, and we always need to go back to the life of Christ, discover what we're supposed to be, how we're supposed to be living, what we're supposed to think. When you go back to the life of Christ, he did not spend his life trying to build a church. He did not go around trying to build an organization. He was all about that inter relationship with God, that inside, that spirituality you're talking about. Christ's whole mission was not to leave this earth with a church in place, with a religious organization in place. Christ's mission was to to, to beautify the character of God, to identify the character of God, to, to make it clear to everyone, and to leave people with God in their hearts. And so it seems like the life of Christ even is in agreement with what you're saying today. Absolutely. It's very interesting in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, the lady who was a leading pioneer as well as uh, uh, someone that we still feel had a prophetic gift, mm-hmm. 
she said many times that the organization was not a good thing, but it was necessary. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, that you need to have structure as it became big, but that, that the organization was, was uh, something to be uh, regretted almost, and we would be better without it. And to go back on what you said, your general point is correct, but we tend to forget a bit that Jesus did structure uh, his uh, outreach very uh, calculatedly. Remember, he chose his disciples, mm-hmm. not randomly. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't think 12 was a chance number. The 12 tribes of, of Israel. So I'm sure that he had in mind a parallel to that in choosing the 12. Then he chose the 70 mm-hmm. and sent them out. And uh, if you listen to his instructions, how they were to witness and what they were to do, it was very regulated, not controlled, but regulated. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, mm-hmm. it was uh, purposeful. But that said, he was always very plain that the church was to be built on him. So it wasn't a structure per se. It was a gathering around the person and the church made up of the uh, aggregate of the believers that constituted the body of believers. That was its own organization. Yes, yes. So uh, it's a bit of a two-edged sword. We, We have to have some organization, but anybody that confuses the structure with the reason for everything, has got it wrong. And, and of course, back to the, the Middle Ages, mm-hmm. where the established church, what had become the Roman Catholic Church and its dominance in Europe, it absolutely upheld the structure, I think, before the, the Creator and before the, the spirituality that lay behind it. And the other day, it was very interesting to me, in a video that I've actually written an editorial on, a video put out by an independent group of, group of Catholic individuals, you know, recently with the Supreme Court action, we can never be quite sure who's taking out political ads. Mm-hmm. And one of them just identifies itself as a, as a, a group of concerned uh, Catholic uh, people, obviously with money. They have a huge appeal there to Catholic voters to, to change the government at the moment. So mm-hmm. it's, it's clearly to try to get the president out. Mm-hmm. But it's said there that throughout all of the ages, and I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but this is essentially what it said. It says, throughout the ages... The church has had those that will defend her interests. Mm. Oh, that's kind of <laughs> that, scary to me. That's wrong to <laughs> me. Not just wrong for the Catholic Church, it's wrong for any church. Yes, yes. Yes, yes I'm an, I happen to be an employee of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and there's a little bit more logic that in my employment relationship I defend the interests of the organization. Mm. But if as a Seventh-day Adventist I am about defending the interests of the Seventh-day Adventist Church mm-hmm. primarily, I, I've got it terribly wrong. Yeah, yeah. It's not the interests of the church. It's the interests, uh, in this case, of, of Christ, who I serve as, as a Christian. But more importantly, perhaps even than that simple statement, it's how do I communicate these values that are embodied by that church, not the church Hmm. Correctly, I, I think I'll defend it. I wrote an editorial about this that this this whole ad was thoroughly misdirected, uh, subverting the, not only the constitutional uh, relationship between people and religion and the state and so on, but just a wrong view of religion, hmm. defending the interests of the church. Uh, of course, that's how the crusade started. That's exactly right. That's exactly. <laughs> uh, remember, Pope Urban, I think, got up and he says, "You know, the 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 infidels have desecrated the church's uh, altars there in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Go there and 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 take uh, vengeance, take it back from them." That was the interests of the church. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, in the last few minutes we have on the program, I want to make sure that we are very clear on how we should be Christians. 
we want the spirituality in our heart. We want Jesus living in our heart. A structure, an organization is not a bad thing, as, as you're saying, that, that Christ even recommended. It's a necessary that. It's a thing. Necessary, yeah, it's a ne- necessary evil, I guess they'd say. But as we're sitting there in our pew in, on, on, on Sabbath morning, uh, Lincoln, and we're sitting there, and the church stands up and says to us to do something or believe in a way that is contrary to what God is telling us in our hearts, what should we do? We want to support the church. We're part of the church. But what do we do under those circumstances? Because some people face that. Well, yes, Martin Luther faced that back in his era. You know, anybody has to be true to their conscience. And whether it's the Catholic Church or the Seventh-day Adventist Church, someone shouldn't remain in such an organization, which in our present uh, setup, as it should be, these are voluntary organizations. And it's worth remembering, you don't have a religious liberty question per se within these organizations if you differ from them. You leave. And I think if somebody is so out of harmony, they should leave. But certainly, I would, would, uh, particularly when we're talking about my church, uh, you know, that's the one that comes to mind first. If someone has a great difference... Yes, they shouldn't leave reflexly. They should study the issue. They should think it through. They should they should pray about it and try to uh, not so much reconcile but to find out what the difference is, whether it's a, a misunderstanding on their part or on the church's part and so on. And if they think the church is wrong, they, they have a right to, to bring that to the attention of the church. But if at the end of all of that there's a great conflict and and, and they're clearly out of harmony with the conditions that form their voluntary association, leave. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. People have forgotten that. Uh, There's no obligation for somebody who differs from a church to stay in it and make it in their image. Mm. The church church of me as opposed to the church of God, the church of me is what you're talking about. Well, and that's that's right. If they follow that through too much, it becomes just a... uh, uh, an ego uh, yes, trip, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and Martin Luther, back to him, he thought that his church had just lost, which it had, mm-hmm. <laughs> had lost uh, a, a grip on some of the old uh, truths, and that if he proclaimed it loudly enough, they would see the error and reform the church. Well, they didn't, but once he saw that they would not, yes, he was quite prepared to go his own way. Yes. In fact, it was necessary. He, he couldn't force the church even though it was trying to force him, he couldn't force the church to change. And we need to understand that. And, and I think in that way, it does in, intersect with the religious liberty equation. We should not think that through uh, uh, antagonism or law or, or violence, war and so on, that we can force organizations to change, church organizations to change, or individuals in those uh, organizations to change and, and, uh, and join our view. Uh, you know, that's the root of all religious conflict. Hmm. I hope this clarifies it. Yeah. And we started off on the secularist attacking the religionist, but at the end of the day, we don't have very much to fear from the secularist. It's religionists who have lost sight of what religion is about that more easily settle into persecution. Hmm. Lincoln Steed, editor of Liberty Magazine and an ordained minister of the Seventh Avenue Church. Thank you, Lincoln, very much for these words today. Appreciate it. Always a pleasure. And listener, until next time, this is Charles Mills along with Lincoln Steed inviting you to rest in the freedom of God's love. Goodbye, everyone.
You've been listening to LifeQuest Liberty. To further explore the issues discussed on today's program, visit www.LibertyMagazine.org. Join us again next week at this same time as we examine more of the threats and challenges facing your religious freedom. May God keep the flames of religious freedom burning in your heart today.